Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are here once again with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. We are joined by Dr. David Lay again. Dr. Lay is a world-renowned psychologist, certified sex therapist, and certified supervisor of sex therapy. He is the author of several books, including Insatiable Wives, which will be the focus of today's episode. Today, we're going to be exploring cuckolding and erectile dysfunction. Dr. Lay, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're doing this, these kinds of conversations. So prior to reading Dr. Lay's book, uh, Insatiable Wives, I may have said that never before in the history of the world has the monogamy paradigm been so openly challenged. However, I found this book to be extremely informative, and I will be more careful with that statement. <laughs> what I will say is that probably monogamy has not been openly questioned and openly challenged to this extent in the past mm-hmm. century or so. Okay. This is definitely a growing lifestyle and even broader genre of pornography. And I think a point of curiosity and intrigue for many, many more people out there. So today we're going to hear from Dr. Lay about cuckolding in particular, the you know various versions or manifestations of it, and how that relates to uh, sexual function and sometimes sexual dysfunction. So Dr. Lay, to get us started, can you tell us like what is cuckolding? So cuckolding is um, a form of consensual non-monogamy where the, in general, where the wife is engaging in sex with other men, typically heterosexual sex with other men, um, with the enthusiastic kind of support and permission from her husband. Most oftentimes, this is a kind of a female-focused uh, form of non-monogamy where the husband um, may only be sexual with the wife and is not sexual with people outside the marriage, although the wife is. Cuckolding can involve elements of bondage and um, uh, dominance, discipline, submission, humiliation. And so it can look like BDSM and forms of that kind of kink, but it doesn't always. Sometimes it can be without some of that humiliation, you know, kind of element and look a bit more just kind of like recreational swinging, um, recreational sex focused on the wife. Okay, so if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, this could take the form of one-sided swinging, but this can also take a form of a consensual non-monogamy that involves power dynamics um, with the, the husband in particular, although I imagine this could be reversed theoretically, but I think most commonly it's the husband who's in that position of submissive or, or in a, humi- hum- a position of being humiliated. Um, and there's different you know, variations of how these arrangements get formed. Right. Um, so there, uh, yes, well said. And female cut queening is what it's called when the uh, wife is enjoying her husband being sexual with other, other women is kind of the, the flip side of cuckolding. 
it is far more rare than interest in cuckolding. Justin Miller is a, a researcher, a friend of mine, has a lovely book called Tell Me What You Want. We actually published some research on cuckolding together. Justin suggests that around 45% of men may have fantasized at least once um, about their wife or girlfriend being with other men, them watching them or not. But it is far less common for women to fantasize about their their husband being with other women. Okay. So Dr. Lee, to that end, I was about to ask you, how common is this desire and how common is the implementation? So you said 45% at one point. Um, but, you know, like like anything else, when it comes to like, you know, fantasy, uh, there can be a fantasy that is a one-off, it's Absolutely. fleeting, it's a thought, and then there can be uh, fantasies that people have, which are more thematic. So Again, in your in your estimation, as a thematic fantasy, how common would something like uh, cuckolding, some of the variations that you described, how common would that be in fantasy? And then, how common is this in implementation? Uh, generally, again, I'm going to go with Justin's numbers, particularly on fantasy, that you know, around around a third to almost half of men report some some interest in this fantasy is it their their favorite fantasy less so i would say probably around 10% the in terms of making it a reality we kind of don't know is um, because cuckolding and and it's it, it, a little historical offshoot i know you i know you read this in the book you know cuckolding the term cuckold um, historically was was really pejorative. And, you know, a cuckold was a man whose wife was cheating on him and he didn't know. And he was being, he was humiliated. He was viewed as a weakling and, 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 and uh, you know, made fun of in historical society. Shakespeare, you know, referenced cuckold in, in lots of his plays and it was never a good thing. Cuckolding historically was non-consensual. Modern cuckolding um, is consensual, but because there is such a history of stigma and shame around it, you know, a man whose whose wife is, is having sex with other men, you know, um, it, people are going to assume, oh, well, you must have a small penis, or you aren't any good in bed, or you're not a real man, and uh, so the practice of this has historically been very, very secretive. And uh, it's, only in, it's only in really recent times. I mean, I published that book in 2009, and at the time, nobody was really talking about this. And I was amazed when I wrote the book uh, at how prevalent it was historically and you know, um, what a you know, kind of culture or community there was here um, because it wasn't public. It is much more public now. As you said, it is one of the fastest growing kind of genres of pornography. Um, people are talking about it much more publicly, hearing about it. I mean, and then there have been these scandals. You know, Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is a really good example. And there's, you know, there's a, a documentary about him, I think, on Hulu or something about uh, about his his the you know, scandal of him getting caught watching his wife with the pool boy, which you know is just almost something you feel like you can't make up, you know? And so as a result, it's getting talked about a lot more and we're seeing a lot more people that have that fantasy now trying to make it reality. Now, one of the other interesting kind of paradoxical things that I think is driving this surge 
is uh, over the past couple of years, we've also had the term cuck being used in conservative politics. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's all over Fox News and stuff like that. And what's interesting is they're using it as a pejorative, right? They're using it as a, oh, you're not, you're not a real politician or you're just a weak person or whatever. Like the original, like the original use of the word. Like the original, right? Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that um, cuckolding, interesting cuckolding seems to be more common in men within more traditional masculine um, communities, cultures, or roles. Because cuckolding and, and fantasizing about being cuckolding is almost embra- it's embracing a taboo <laughs> and the excitement that is connected with violating the taboo makes that fantasy more exciting for some people. So as the, as the Republicans, you know, are calling each other cuck, they're actually incentivizing the taboo within some of the folks that are listening to it. And Cuckolding is more common as a fantasy in Republicans. And there have been some prominent Republicans, particularly around Trump, um, Roger Stone and Paul Manafort, both uh, people prominently involved with, with Trump that have been exposed as, as interested in sharing their wives, wives with other men. Obviously, Jerry Falwell Jr. is a great example. So. Yes. That's a, it, it's, it's yeah, yeah. It's just so fascinating. The fascinating. So I was going to come to ask you my, my next question. It's as if it's as if you're writing you're writing what I wanted to get towards. So I'm, I'm very careful when I ask this question. I want to emphasize this to the listeners that um, you know sexual wants, like really in general, like we try to not pathologize them as if there is like a a problem with wanting something. But at the same time, a lot of times they do have a psychological driver, almost like what you're describing here, which is. When you put something into taboo, naturally you're pulled towards it. So if you are from a place where this is taboo, your drive toward it might be a lot stronger. Are there any additional psychological or relational factors that might be part of facilitating or encouraging interest in this uh, type of lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, certainly this is not it's not a monolithic kind of thing. There are a lot of different kind of motivations or motivators that can feed interest in this. Some of it is coming out of, you know, a, a uh, strong interest in voyeurism. There's even a, a term called trialism that was coined in the late 1800s uh, that describes, uh, you know, people that enjoy watching other people have sex and for men embracing this that want to watch their wife with with other men i've heard i've heard men say um you know i love my wife um uh, i think she's the sexiest person in the world and watching her have sex with other people is the best kind of entertainment i can have for other men uh bisexuality um is a significant uh underlying motive um because and 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 i've seen some men again most coming from more conservative backgrounds that have bisexual interest in other men but are really ashamed of it and they can basically use their wife's body as a vehicle to be sexual with other men without being gay, so to speak. Does that, does that mean vicariously or does that mean inviting another man into the bedroom or both? 
Both, both. And so, you know, sometimes um, in these situations, man, um, uh, there's a there's a, a dominance, you know, kind of uh, element and the wife will force the man to perform oral sex on her other lover um, or go down on her after they've had sex. And it that is that is this kind of third party, almost kind of vicarious engagement with the other man. Um, sometimes that's about a bisexual orientation. Sometimes it's about about the humiliation. Um, so it, it, it can it can be both. It can come from a lot of different things. Dan Savage uh, argued that has argued that uh, cuckolding is an is an eroticization of fear. That it is a strategy where people psychologically dispel some of the strength and anxiety associated with with a fear by making it as sexual. We looked at that in some research. Uh, Dan actually participated in this research with Justin and I, and we didn't really see eroticization of fear being uh, being a significant factor. What we did see was that um, these were couples who were strongly attached. Um, some some folks have suggested that uh, you know um, only somebody who's not very attached to their wife would want her to be sexual with other men. Instead, we found that these were these were couples who were very attached to each other. And that, that kind of speaks towards the vicarious, like living vicariously through, right? That part yeah. where you're very attached. Also kind of just like as, as you're talking, I'm just getting curious if like maybe it's also like a differentiation strategy. So if you're going with like, like you know, more intensely bonded, if it's a way of almost mm-hmm. seeing your partner as separate from you uh, by being able to see them with another person. Right. I can, I can certainly see that. Um, and then I've heard from some men who um, say, you know, look, my, my wife can have a hundred orgasms. I can maybe have one. And um, this is a way for them to explore the full capacity of their wife's erotic, you know, kind of elements. Amazing. So I'm assuming that, that, like you mentioned before, this is predominantly introduced by the male partner, even though this is a female-focused form of the lifestyle. Is that, is that accurate? Yes. Again, um, historically, and when I wrote the book, um, I saw very, very few examples where this had been introduced by by the wife or female female partner. Um, the um, uh, there, there are some some differences, or some 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 exceptions to that. Um, you know, Anne Rand, um, who wrote Fountainhead. Um, she appears to have introduced cuckolding to her husband um, as she had uh, other partners outside their marriage. Um, but historically, it was really only what I call the intelligentsia or literatic, uh, literatic <laughs> it, um, kind of communities that um, where women could get away with that because in those artistic communities – Women were not subject to some of this um, shame and stigma that um, that uh, women would be would experience in other communities if they were caught being unfaithful to their husband. So historically, uh, female you know uh, female infidelity has been so stigmatized and shamed that women rarely would introduce it um, to their husband. That may be changing, though. Um, again, we're seeing. Um, I'm, you know, it's weird. You know, again, I wrote that book in 2009, but I'm seeing younger people 
interested in cuckolding. I'm seeing uh, people that don't have kids interested in cuckolding. And, and I say that because uh, uh, historically it was mostly couples that had already had kids that would then kind of take the risk of the wife being sexual with another man and maybe getting pregnant with another man. Now, um, and, and so if they've already had kids, it's less of an evolutionary gamble, right? But now I'm hearing younger people and childless people being interested in it. And really interestingly, seeing women now identifying an interest in this form of non-monogamy or cuckolding or lifestyle um, separate from uh, their man or even women who are not in a relationship at all and specifically looking for a man to be their cuckold. So I think it'll be, it's, it'll be interesting to see as that as this evolves, if men retain the same level of interest, if it's their female partner that's introducing it right, versus mm-hmm. if they're the ones bringing it forward. It's, it's mm-hmm. just fascinating how you know, we evolve as human beings and how like this can all you know change mm-hmm. over time. All that being said, so... I think for anybody who has not heard of or been exposed to you know, various forms of you know, hot wifing or the cuckold lifestyle, they would probably associate this with male weakness, male subordinates. Subordinates is that an accurate description of the men that you've encountered who are engaged in this lifestyle? Not really. The you know the. It, it's kind of like the old joke about the you know the the CEO who's in charge all day long, and then wants to get go home, get tied up and and beaten and whipped. A lot of the men that are interested in cuckolding, they are more assertive. Um, you know, uh, traditionally masculine men. Um, Roy Baumeister is a social psychologist, um, very popular in long, long, strong history. He argues that interest in submission is a psychological escape from self, that being being submissive, including in this kind of role, you know, is a way to give up the te- for a temporary time to get vacation from the work of being in charge, including being in charge of yourself, maintaining your self image, maintaining your identity. Um, and so, you know, I see a lot of men that, that are interested in this sometimes because they get a, 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 a little sense of rest by imagining sitting back and watching their wife have sex with another man and they just get to be a spectator for a minute. They, they can enjoy her pleasure without having to do the work. This specifically could fit men who are like very, very much like on top of their game in many areas of their life um, and are go-getters and pushing forward. And it's like the opposite description of like a, a, a weak yeah. kind of personality. But this there's like respite in all of this. There's yeah, like very much. Life. Yeah. yeah. Earl von Saker Masoch, masochism is named after him. He was a, a nobleman, wrote, wrote the book Venus and Furs, and he um, he liked to be beaten and whipped by beautiful women. Who doesn't, really? But he 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 one time invited his wife to to be sexual with another man so that he could embrace humiliation. He could experience that, and yet, um, so so he sounds like a weakling, right? And yet. 
um, at one point his his family was under siege. There were um, uh, marauders and, and 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 folks in the in the the village, and he stood outside the house with pistols, firing them to defend his family. That's not a weak man. And so, the psychological arousal from the from from sexual behaviors or for sexual fantasies doesn't really tell us much about the personality of the person. We used to think it did. We used to think that the things a person found arousing told us something about who they are. Now, we, I think we are realizing that the things people find arousing are really almost just accidental. It's this accidental interaction between their predispositions and the things that they encounter in their environment as they are developing their erotic um, blueprints. And so I, 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 I tell people a lot nowadays because I see a lot of people that are very ashamed of having these kinds of fantasies. And, um, and, and, and I tell them, you know, it, it's really the same as whether you like salty foods or sweet foods. It's just random. And understanding it about yourself and accepting it now helps you make good decisions about, uh, about how to eat healthy, right? And how to eat healthy in an erotic way. Yeah, that's such an important message, just, just, you know, generally speaking, because anybody listening to this, or I'd say almost anybody listening to this has, you know, their preferences, their likes, their wants. And like it, it, it sounds like, like the complexity behind, like, what goes into that, it's so multifactorial, it's like any other mm -hmm. like, preference. It's really, really hard to like, it, it, you know, I, I know that it can be very enticing to give like a very simple psychological mm -hmm. explanation, but at best, it sounds like it's pop psychology, and it's not really yeah. a good, accurate picture of the complexity of what you know creates a particular proclivity or a preference, like in any particular direction. So important. So, kind of bringing this back to the topic of sexual function, and in particular erectile dysfunction. So, can cuckolding or the development of a cuckold lifestyle be a response to erectile dysfunction? In other words, if a man, like you know, begins to notice that there's mm -hmm. uh, a loss of rigidity, maybe it's subtle in the beginning. Like, is that a potential factor here in what might open up or introduce this lifestyle or this thought about um, this kind of relationship? Possibly. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that it is a major kind of factor, but um, it certainly kind of does come up. I mean, if you remember the old book, um, Lady Chatterley's Lover, the, the paralyzed soldier um, uh, comes home in a wheelchair and then encourages his wife to have sex with the gardener because he can't satisfy her anymore. Um, sometimes men um, who are struggling with sexual function um, and have a highly sexual wife um, they, they may kind of bring in a stunt penis, so to speak, um, so that the, the husband's performance issues, um, you know, don't stand in the way of the wife's, um, uh, sexual satisfaction. Um, I mentioned Paul Manafort. One of the things that was alleged in, uh, text messages his daughters, um, had about his, uh, proclivity for having, um, uh, black men come in and have sex with his wife while he watched was that, quote, he could only get it up after they left. And so for some folks, because this fantasy, um, is so powerful and so taboo and so arousing, it may be a strategy to overcome uh, some sexual inhibition or, or sexual function issues by, by, by stimulating 
a higher level of sexual arousal. Um, now, we I speculated in Insatiable Wives that there may be some um, uh, evolutionary components to this, that sperm competition and mate competition, believing that your wife may have been sexual with another, uh, with another person can increase in some ways level of physiological and sexual arousal in some men. Is it possible that uh, that, that could work um, to overcome sexual function issues? Maybe, but if I had that book to write over again, I would de-emphasize some of the evolutionary psych suggestions that I suggested because a lot of those haven't haven't panned out in the research very well. Right. It's also you know, not necessarily the best strategy to say, I have ED, let me introduce cuck holding yeah. and see if that solves it. Right, right. right. Exactly. Yes. Um, now, have you seen it work in the opposite direction where it all seemed like a good idea? And again, kind of going along how this works, the male partner introduces it, the female partner, like, I guess, eventually acquiesces and then gets on board. Um, but then it kind of reverses, meaning kind of backfires, and then it becomes overly anxiety-inducing, uh, leading to sexual dysfunction in the male partner. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I've certainly seen couples that you know tried this and it didn't go well. Um, and uh, you know, it, while while sometimes the man will fantasize about the wife leaving him. Uh, to be with other men, they don't actually want that to happen, but sometimes it does. And what happens, interestingly, is that as couples do this, uh, it starts being about the, the man's fantasy, and then oftentimes it becomes being about the wife's um, experience, desires, or interests. She kind of takes it over. And sometimes the husband can lose some control there and feel like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this was my thing, and now you're you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. Right. I, t I told you how to enjoy this. <laughs> yes. I told you what my fantasy was that I wanted you to act out, and you're not doing it right. Right. Um, and so any of those kinds of issues can, can certainly lead to um, some increased anxiety and, and then sexual function problems related to that. Sure. Okay. Now, Dr. Lynch, to kind of wrap this up, I'm wondering if, if you could share with our listeners maybe one or two major takeaways um, from what you've learned doing the research. I know that you've spoken to countless couples um, that have engaged in you know, this lifestyle in particular. If there are particular takeaways, especially if anybody um, is harboring this fantasy, maybe you know, is considering bringing this up to a partner, or if a couple is you know, considering... Um, this lifestyle choice, what would be like a takeaway or two that you think would be helpful for our listeners? You know, the number one um, thing that I recommend is uh, dip your toe in the water. Don't jump in the deep end. And what I mean by that is if this is something you're interested in, find ways to start exploring it gently at first. Things like role play, things like, you know, um, sharing fantasies together, um, this sounds like self-promotion, but I've heard so many couples now tell me that they took a road trip and they listened to my book, Insatiable Wives, together as a way to, you know, unpack potential interest in this. You've got to, you've got to go slowly into these very potentially challenging, dangerous waters, jumping straight to, hey, here's my best friend. Um, why don't you have sex with him while, while I watch is a recipe for disaster. Okay. 
That's such an important point. And, and, and um, it doesn't have to be self-promotion. I will give the promotion for this book. <laughs> I, I was able to listen. To, I, I did it on an audio book. I listened to it. It was extremely informative. And it really kind of opened up my eyes to just the depth and the extent of this lifestyle. And I imagine that other variations of the lifestyle and swinging probably carry you know as much depth to them as well. I know that, that you haven't written a book on other forms. This one in particular was the the one that you pursued. But anybody who like is considering this lifestyle, is interested in learning more about it, wants to see the depth. We also didn't touch on the history of this. This is not just a modern age development. This has been like around for centuries, really. Um, really is a, something which is part of, to an extent, the fabric of uh, many people's just human condition. So if anybody wants to learn more, we will definitely put a link uh, to how to find this book. I'm sure it's on Amazon um, <laughs> as well. I do know it is on Audible. Um, so Dr. Lay, once again, thank you so much for being with us. This is so informative um, for our listeners. And uh, hopefully we can have you on to discuss some of your other books in the future. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Happy to have the conversations. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.